Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. How are you doing today? Good, good. Enjoying the bright, beautiful, sunny day. Well, again, welcome. Uh, glad you are here. If you are a guest, again, another welcome for you. We hope that today you'll just learn a little bit more about this God who loves you and uh, this community who wants to share with you uh, the love of God through Christ. We are wrapping up uh, what I basically called a four-week kickoff to this thing called Lifehouses. Again, Lifehouses is not a teaching series. It's a, it's a movement. It's an identity for our home. In fact, uh, repeat after me. Lifehouses has not been a teaching series. It's been a call to a way of life. Absolutely. Our hope is that these last four weeks, and if you, by the way, if you, if you weren't here, this is your first time, or if you've missed a couple, I encourage you to log online, uh, go back and listen or watch any of the messages in the last few weeks that you've missed, and uh, just be able to get you right back up to speed. But basically, uh, we have been really calling us to live in a way uh, to fulfill one of the greatest directives of Jesus Christ to love our neighbor. Of course, the neighbor is pretty much anybody you encounter, but sometimes we overlook those who are the most immediate to us. And so really the Lifehouse movement is saying, how can you uh, pour out a more focused love in the people who live right around you immediately? To take those eight houses right around you, learn their names, learn uh, what's going on in their life, get to know them, pray for them. Basically, a, a Lifehouse uh, lives out three commitments. A life house uh, is, is a house that is full of prayer. You just basically commit to praying for your neighbors, uh, that God would bless them and watch over them and for whatever needs that uh, you pick up on. It's a, it's a life house is a house of care. It's, it's someone who says, you know what, I, I sense and I observe these needs and the people that live around me and God has put me here to help meet those needs. So how can I help? Some of you right now, for example, maybe some of your neighbors have uh, stacked furniture and carpeting on their curb. It's not like they plan on selling those things. Uh, there's something else going on. And maybe their basement's flooded or maybe they've had some damage. It's like, how, how can you help with those needs that you see around you? And Lifehouse is also a house of sharing. And so Lifehouse is committed to prayer, care, and share. As we develop these relationships, sometimes spiritual curiosity is kicked up and you're in a position to just listen to your neighbor's story and her background. You can share a little bit about your story and your background. And then also, if, if it's invited and if it feels natural, you get to share God's story, a little bit more about God's love and what you've learned about that. So this is really the, the heart of Lifehouses. And just to review what we basically have tried to communicate over the last three weeks, if we were to summarize uh, the last three weeks' teaching uh, with a big idea from each of the last few weeks. The first week we basically wanted you to know is that God placed you where you live on purpose, right? Where you live is not an accident. You, you, you picked that place, but God knew you were going to pick that place, and he might have picked that place for you before you picked it, so you've been put there on purpose, you know? So you've been placed on purpose where you live. Uh, the, the next week we talked about destroying the fences we hide behind. We've got these fences of busyness or these fences of isolation or these fences of fear, that we live behind that keeps us from loving our neighbors like Jesus wants us to love our neighbors. We're like, man, let's destroy those fences and let's let our vertical love for God create a greater horizontal love for the people in our lives. And so we learn how to destroy fences. And last week, Pastor Rick talked about um, be your neighbor's unexpected heroes. You know, we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan and talked about having eyes to see and a heart that cares and hands that serve. And so these are really the, the big ideas that we've landed on. And we've asked you, share with us your stories. 
As, you, as you're loving on your neighbors, as cool things happen, just share with us so we can celebrate with you and sometimes encourage others with your story. And so there's a link on our website you can go to and you can share a story. Some people have been emailing. Uh, some people call us up or have great conversations. In fact, one story that came uh, from two weeks ago that just blew me away that I think really fits with where we want to go today is this. Uh, this woman emailed this to me. She said, Pastor Chad, I just had the most amazing experience. I was at Panera and Fairlawn eating dinner with my son, and I heard a young man in the booth next to us quietly pleading on the phone to his landlord to not to evict him. He was holding an eviction notice. He was pleading on the phone that he was working three jobs and going to school at night, and that he just spent the last of his money paying for his three-year-old daughter's daycare. He was also saying that he couldn't move his daughter back to a hotel to live. When he got off the phone, he was covering his eyes. I went over to him. I told him about how God puts people within three feet of you for a reason. I told him to stay put. I took my son, we ran to the ATM and took out $500. He only needed 200. I came back and gave it to him. He was in shock. I would be in shock. You'd probably be in shock too. You know? <laughs> he asked for my name and address, which I refused to give. He asked how, I could, uh, how he could pay me back. I told him that if he was ever able to just pay it forward. Also to be a good dad. I told him that there was someone within three feet of him who needs help to help them because God put you in the same place at the same time. And what a great example of being a good neighbor. Absolutely. We talked about that three-foot rule that, you know, a lot of times when these people come in within three feet of you, God's got them there for a reason. He's got you there for a reason. And, and she, she was applying that. And she had the heart and she had the means to do something in that moment. And she acted. And so this is really a, a powerful understanding of what it means to be one who loves your neighbor. Now, her story, in the Bible passage I want to look at together today, are going to reveal uh, one other concept about being a lifehouse that I think I, I find fascinating. And it's really the relation between loving others and debt. And you're going like, what? I don't get it. <laughs> it's just, there's a connection between indebtedness and loving others. And I want to look at that together with you this morning. So would you open your Bibles, please, to Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Romans 13, 8 through 10. So uh, whether you're here or online, open up your Bibles or fire up your Bible app. And if you're here today, by the way, and you don't own a Bible, you don't have one, we'd love to give you one as a gift. So on your way out, stop by the information center. We'd love to give you a Bible so that you have one for yourself. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Here's what we see there. It says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. What God is sharing here is he is summarizing his commandments. And when you look at the commandments, six of those commandments are in relation to how we treat other people, from our moms and dads all the way to others. And so he's using four of those commandments here as an example, saying uh, all these commandments that we see about basically not doing a harm to another, they're summarized by just trying to love others. And I think that should be very freeing for us. We're not bound to every day we leave the house we have this little checklist. Okay, I will not murder anybody today. Uh, I will not steal something today. I will not covet today. We just go out of the house with one understanding. Love our neighbor. Love our neighbor like we love ourselves. 
That's it. And I love how God just boiled it down for us because we don't have this long list. We don't have to try to show our love for God by law. We show our love for God by love. And so we, we have this understanding of this summary. And as we look at this passage and try to understand that summary, this passage, I think, brings two powerful lessons of how the concepts of debt and loving others relate to one another. And they're really found in just the very opening words. And we're going to look at them twice, but from two different angles. Look at this. Owe no one anything except to love each other. Why would I owe anybody love? It would just be really creepy if somebody came up to you and said, hey, you owe me love. You'd be like, what? What are you talking about? You know? Why, why would we owe anybody love? Now think about the story of this woman and this man. Here was this guy, and he was in a situation. He had a problem that he could do nothing about. He could do nothing about this problem, and he was in a place of desperation. She had the heart and the means to do something about it. And when she did, his response was, well, can I pay you back? How, how can I pay you back? And her response was, you don't need to pay me back what I did for you. Instead, just, just, be, just do the same thing to someone else. Just be generous to someone else when the, when the opportunity comes and be a good dad. No, we can relate to that because this is, there was a sense of indebtedness there. That man felt indebted to her in that moment. How, how can I pay you back? And it's one of those tensions where he was probably like, oh, I can't take your money. Oh, but I will. Oh, but I can't take it, but I will, you know? Because there was a need. And there was a sense of indebtedness that just overflowed with gratitude. I bet that man is somewhere right now, he'll never forget that moment. He'll never forget that moment. And you know what? There's going to be a time when someone's within three feet of him that's going to need a hand. And you know what? He's going to have the means. He's going to have the heart to do it. And he's going to act upon it. And it can get carried forward. We're the same exact way when we understand this indebtedness thing. Because here's the deal. We have a problem that we can do nothing about. You and I have sin in our life. We have evil in our hearts. We have evil in our minds. We have evil that comes from our actions. Uh, we have evils that come from our mouth. I mean, just reflect on how maybe you spoke to someone in the last 24 hours. Actions that you've taken in the last 24 hours. Thoughts that you've had in the last 24 hours. I mean, we have a wicked um, you know, nature inside of us, that sin nature. And that sin nature violates the holiness of God. And so you have a holy God who has this creature who's constantly sinning. Therefore, we're in debt to this God. We owe him holiness and we can't do anything about it. We can't work it off. You can't go to church enough. You can't help enough people to work off our sin. And God had the heart and the means to do something about it. Out of his heart and his love for you, his love for you, his love for you and for me, he came down in person and he went to the cross. And when he went to the cross and he died on the cross, he paid the debt. He zeroed out our balance so that we don't owe him anything. We just need to receive the payment that he placed on our behalf. And what happens in that moment is we are indebted to God. We're, we're indebted to the Lord for what he's done. I mean, if, if you were crossing the street and you didn't see a vehicle coming and someone pushed you out of the way and they were either paralyzed or they were killed because they saved your life, it would change the way you lived. You would feel indebted to that person and it would affect the way you live the rest of your life. Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. It changes the way we live. And what happens is we say, God, how can we pay you back? God, how can we pay you back? And God's saying, look, it's very simple. I'm going to boil it down. Just love me. Just love me with all your heart, love me with all your soul, love me with all your strength, love me with all your mind. Just love me and love others. The love that I've shown to you, I want you to pass it on to others. 
And, and really, I'm not keeping track. Uh, there's, not, I'm not, there's not a tally sheet anywhere. But if you just want to live a life uh, that's paying off that debt in a sense, a life that's showing that you're grateful for what I did, just love me and love others. Aren't you glad that God is that simple? Aren't you glad that God boils it down to, I mean, we're dense. He says they can only handle two things. Let's see. Love me, love others. And we still get that wrong, you know? We still struggle with that. So God's boiling it down, and then we have the sense of debtedness. We owe this debt that we couldn't pay. There's an old hymn that says that, right? There's an old hymn line that says that. I had a debt I could not pay. He paid the debt he did not owe. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together. We talk about that new life in Christ. God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us our trespasses by canceling the record of what? Debt. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands that he set aside, nailing it to where? The cross. Our sinfulness, our wickedness, everything we're ashamed of, everything we should be ashamed of, was nailed to the cross, and now out of our debt to the Lord, he says, love others. That, that stirs in us the heart to want to do that. And so there's this correlation between our indebtedness to God and how we're supposed to pour out the love to others because of what he's done for us. Why, does, why do you love others? Because God loves you. Why do you, why do you need to take the effort to, to pour out love to other people? Because God says, out of your love for me, pass it on to others. So there's a connection there. But that's not the only connection we see here when it talks about the debt that we see here and, and, and the desire to help us have the heart and the means uh, to, to love others through this. The second is this. When we look back at that verse, it says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. Oh, no one anything. Does that mean financial debt is bad? Does this verse mean that we are to never have debt? Does the Bible teach that we are forbidden to have debt? Now, when you click on all the verses and look at all the Bible verses that really capture debt, you don't see a theme that debt's forbidden. You see the presence of debt on, uh, you know, on occasion in scriptures. And when you do, when you put it all together, what you basically see the Bible teaching is, if you have debt, pay it off. <laughs> if you have debt, pay it off. We look at Psalm 37, 21. It says, the wicked borrows, but does not what? Pay back. So the wicked will borrow, but they don't pay it back. So then the righteous will obviously borrow and pay it back. Not only that says, but the righteous is generous and gives. So you see a contrast there. And when you look at all the other scriptures, the principle of debt is, hey, if you get it, pay it off. Because if you get yourself in a place where you're not paying it off, that's not righteous living. That's not living pleasing to the Lord. God also teaches us that while in debt, we are owned by the one to whom we have borrowed Proverbs 22.7 says, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the what? Slave of the lender. We know what that feels like, don't we? We know what it feels like to get a monthly bill for years and years and years and years, and to feel enslaved and entrapped. Now, when you look at passages like this, and the other scriptures that are related to that, uh, these aren't designed to make us feel shameful or bad for having what we would call responsible debt. Because there's a certain type of debt that we can occur in life that's responsible. Some of our mortgages, our rent, when we have um, you know, certain car loans, depends on what kind of car you buy, right? Because you can buy a car that you shouldn't be buying. But if, if you're buying a car, you've got a car loan, or you've got school loans, like those can be responsible debts. I don't think God's going to have the biggest issues with those debts. I think the other debts that we need to look at, and the one that we need to be aware of as we try to live our life as lifehouses, is the unnecessary and irresponsible debt. 
It's the careless, impulsive, materialistic accumulation of debt. Borrowing to a point that you can't pay back. Or squandering what we have to the point that there's no margin. We, 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 we spend to the point that there's just no margin in our lives. And we become a debt to the credit cards. We become a debt to consumeristic spending. And God definitely lets us know that that's not healthy. And it's not a, a wise way to use the, the resources he has given us. And so we have to understand this correlation with debt. Now, let's pay that up with the understanding that God expects us to be generous. Remember that verse that says in Psalms, it says that the righteous are generous and gives. You see that theme all through scripture. Like for example, in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 18, it says, as for the rich in this present age. Now let's just pause there. We've talked about this before. You're rich. You're, you're filthy, wealthy, rich. Don't ever forget it. It don't, you don't need to get on a plane and go to a place of complete poverty. On our poorest day, we are wealthier than millions on this globe. We have the resources. We have the opportunities. Our definition of poor is not a global definition. We're rich. This passage is talking to us. The rich in this present day charge them not to be haughty. We can't be arrogant about what we have. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. It's, it's, it's uncertain, isn't it? They can be gone like debt. But set our hopes on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. Whatever means God has given us, out of our love for God and as our love others, we tap into those means to be generous and to bless and to give to others somehow. Now, 1 John 3, 17 and 18 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does, the lo- how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. You and I are to act out a life of generosity because of our love for the Lord. We're to find ways to be generous and find ways to bless and to give of ourselves, to give of who we are and to give of what we have in our efforts to love other people. In case you haven't experienced this, and I think most of you have, I mean, just think about this for a second. It actually really does feel better to give someone something they need rather than just to get something that you want. It really does. Think about all the times. Like, think about all your birthdays. Think about all the Christmas gifts. Think about all the special gifts that you've gotten over the course of your life. How many, what percentage do you actually remember? All the things that you just had to have. I just got to have that. And then you got it. And then you had it. And then you forgot that you had it. Like, when we get stuff we want, it feels good for the time. But you know what feels better? Is when you see a need in someone else and you give them something that they need. And it feels better. And you remember it. And it, and it blesses others, and it blesses our God. So it really feels better to be generous and to bless others. Well, what does that have to do with being a life house and learning how to love others? Well, I, I want to I kind of illustrate that here a little bit different. Okay, okay so here's, here's what we've been talking about. And if you can't see this screen, I think it'll pop up on the screen up there. Oh, hi. That's all right. You want to move it? That's good. All right. That's good. That works. Thank you. Appreciate that. Give me a hand. That was awesome. That was awesome. Give me a hand. Was... Woo! As we're talking about being a life house, as we're talking about loving others, here's what we're understanding. We're, we're going to have to give out of our heart. We're going to have to reallocate space in our heart to actually love people. 
We've got to have the heart to love others. We've we got to learn how to love others. The other thing, too, is if we're going to be serious about loving others, a lot of us have learned this already, you're going to have to learn how to give out of your time. Like when you're driving away from your home or your apartment and you see that someone needs help, like you actually have to stop and maybe help them. <laughs> it's going to take time. And so we have to reallocate space in our calendar, space in our clock to, to love others, okay? Um, if we're going to be loving others, um, now remember, I'm probably better at talking than I'm drawing, okay? So no mocking my uh, drawing here. Uh, this is going to be a hammer thingamajigger, okay? Um, you're, you're going to give of your effort, your abilities, your energy, all right? Like for some of you, uh, maybe, maybe that's more of a spatula, a spatula, okay? Maybe it's like, you know, you can't do that stuff, but you can cook really good, you know? Um, got a new icon for serving others, hammer, spatula. Okay, anyways, if we're going to love others, we're going to give of our heart, we're going to give of our time, we're going to give of our ability and our energies and our talents. Let's not but be naive, Let's not have the avoidance. If we're going to love others, it's going to tap into our resources. But think about it. If I'm going to love you like I love myself, I spend money on myself. I use my resources on myself. So I can't say I'm going to try to love you like I love myself if I'm unwilling to use my stuff on you. Because now I'm not loving you like myself. I'm just kind of loving you sort of like myself. If, if, we're, going to, if we're going to be honest about loving others... It's, it's all of our resources. It's an all-in deal. And this is when people are like, oh, here we are with the church talking about money again. You betcha. You can't divorce spiritual health from financial health. Like, like think about, imagine trying to get married and you say, okay, we're going to get married. We're going to have all this, you know, we're going to be intimate. We're going to have all these things, but we can't talk about money. Like, that doesn't work. It's tied into the deal. It's the sharing of a resource. You can't say, God, I'm going to love you with all my heart, but oh, but you can't touch this. Oh, God, I'm going to learn how to love others, but well, you know, outside of using my resources. It's an all-in deal. There's over 2,000 verses in the Bible that deal with wealth and money. God has an opinion on the matter because everything comes from him anyways. Everything's to be used for him somehow. And so if we're going to love others, we're going to have to reallocate space in our heart, our clock, our time, energy, and our money, our resources. Now, what we're talking about here, if I were to, 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 to kind of take it to the next level, is think about the places that we typically should and maybe do use our resources, all right? So, um, well, hello. Okay, that one doesn't work. Um, <laughs> we've, got, we've got this bus, we've got like five kind of buckets, if you will, that, that we typically use our resources for, Okay? The first one is, is, is we get what we get. We know that when you look at um, the biblical principle, God gets the first cut. The, the understanding of biblical stewardship is that everything comes from God, and he says, give me 10% as a sense of gratitude, as a sense of your acknowledgement that is from me. And so we take our resources, and we give God 10% or more. Some of us are doing more than that, just out of saying, God, thank you. God, thank you. It's from you. It's for you. We never, this like always comes first. We never flinch. We don't budge. That's just biblical stewardship faithfulness. So we've got what we give to God. Then uh, we have our bills, right? And our needs. And so this is where, you know, our food, our clothes, you know, all the different stuff, just our regular bills and needs that it takes to get by. Then we would have what I'm going to just call at this point uh, responsible debt. 
So this is our mortgage, this is our car loans, this is our school loans, just debts that we accrue uh, that, that aren't outside our means that we're kind of using to get through in life. We've got responsible debt. But then sometimes we find ourselves getting into irresponsible debt like we've been talking about. This is where we get a bad case of the swipe syndrome, you know? You're swiping a card all the time, and you're living outside your means, and, and our world makes it easy to just live consumeristically and materialistically, and we find ourselves being reckless and careless, and we're just, we have irresponsible debt in our lives. And then, as we're seeing here, God has this um, directive that we're to be generous. We're to somehow find ways, on top of what we already give to him, out of our love for worship for him, we're to give to others, to be generous to others. And so when we, when we look at how we spend our, our resources, we've got these buckets that, that we tend to pour into. So if we're serious about becoming a lifehouse, if we're serious about starting to make a difference, we've got to say, man, let's, let's attack the most obvious thing. If we could get rid of that, if we could live our life as debt-free as possible, and we get rid of irresponsible debt, all the stuff that you know, squanders the resources that God gives us, we're going to have more to give to others. I don't know about you, but I would much rather take whatever payment I would typically give a credit card and give it to a person who needs it than to give it to some company. You know what I'm saying? But, but we have to desire that. We have to want that in our heart. We, got, we want to have to free up those funds. I mean, then imagine if we were to say, you know what? Not only do we want to get rid of that, we're going to somehow find a way to get rid of this. What if we start chipping away at even some of the other debt? Well, you know, well let's not have to have the car payment. You know, how can, we, how can we find a way to have a, less of a mortgage? What, what will happen when I pay off my school loans? And, and we have all this, and of course, you know, we have savings and stuff in here too as well. We, we have all these ways. And again, this frees up more funds to, to, you know, maybe we need to look at what we think are needs, right? And trim that back. Do we really have to pay that much for TV? Do we really have to dine out that often? What if we dine out? less and dine in more. In fact, why don't we invite neighbors over to eat with us the food that we're cooking? You know, and there's just all sorts of ways that we can be creative to find ways to where, man, what would it look like if we gave to the Lord, we paid what we need to, and then we just had all this to be freed up? I think this is a picture of what God desires for us, that we can, we can lose the stuff that's dragging us down, that's blocking us, that's preventing us from being a blessing to others the way God intends for us to be. And so for some of you, you're sitting here, it's like, okay, what does that mean for you? Like for some of you, you, you're sitting here listening to this, and we're talking about having the heart, we're talking about having the means to bless others. Some of you, you've got the heart, and you've got the means, and you've been doing it. And I just want to say, congratulations, and I thank God for you. Keep going, keep growing, you know? Just keep doing that. Some of you, maybe you don't have the heart to do this or the means. Well, let's just ask God to increase both, Right? Let's ask God to do something with your heart so that you have a heart for others and start to see the needs and are stirred. And just like that woman who, who heard a need instead of going, bummer for you, dude, you know, like felt like I can do something about that. And so ask God to change the heart and also to increase the means somehow. Some of you guys, you have the means, but you don't have the heart. You've been blessed. You have more than you could ever need, but you don't have the heart to give it away. God hasn't touched your heart to such a point that it's freed you up and it's freed your grip on the things in life that you think are yours. They're not yours because when you die, they go to someone else. <laughs> and they came from someone else before you ever touched it. 
And so let God touch your heart. Some of you, you've got the heart, but you don't have the means. Like, I'm all in, but I don't have much to give. What do I do? What kind of adjustments do you need to make in your life to free up the means? You know, some, some people God's given a very big plate, and some people God's given a small plate. Well, just be faithful to give from whatever size plate you have. And maybe while you're in a season of life where you're paying down debts, you know what? Pray your guts out for your neighbors. Man, how can, you, how can you use your hands and your abilities to bless them if you don't have the resources right now to do it financially? And what else can you do while you're trying to take care of other business? So we look at this and we go, this, this is what God's calling us to do, to, to be freed up. Because if we're going to be this kind of lighthouse, if we're going to be these people to make a difference in the lives of others, it's going to tap into our resources. Whether you're cooking a meal for somebody, or whether you're fixing their car, or you're using your stuff to mow their lawn, or whether you realize they don't have the money to repair something at their home, but you do, whatever it is. It really does feel better to give something to someone who needs it than to just buy something you want. Or to pay a bill repeatedly for months and months on end. You know, one of the greatest motivators to get out of debt is generosity, to be freed up. A uh, really quick story. I know for, for Rika and I, uh, when we got married, in the first year and a half of our marriage, we just, we just got stupid. We just racked up a bunch of credit card debt. And, it, and it, was, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't intended to be that way. We just had no margin. And we were living beyond our means. And so if the car needed tires, okay, put it on credit card. If the, something broke down, put it on credit card. If it needed clothes, put it on credit card. Want a nice dinner out, put it on credit card. We just, we just got stupid. We got thousands of dollars in the credit card debt. And God convicted us and, and, and broke our heart over that. And so we spent the next year and a half getting out of it, just sacrificing and just getting out of it. And so we hit that, we, it felt so good to cross that finish line early in our marriage because that was tough on a new marriage, you know, that kind of you know, debt. And we lived debt-free for seven years. Other than our mortgage, we had nothing else. And it was a beautiful gift. And we, we experienced freedom, freedom to give, freedom. You know, you'd, you'd get like this, those, those um, like support letters for people going on mission trips. When you're enslaved like that, that doesn't feel good because you're like, here's this letter. This person's going to go serve the Lord or they're going to do something. And you're like, or they're going to run a race for you know, cancer or something. And you're like, ah, I want to give something. I think I have like 10 bucks this month. And that feels so like cheap that you don't give it because it feels lame. So you just say, I'll be praying for you, you know? Instead, you want, you want to cut a check. And it's nice that when you get out of that stuff, it felt good when we got to a place where we can like, we can cut a check and go, go. That's, it's like, it felt good to be able to do that instead of like, I can't do anything. Like that was a driving force for us. But then, as, as we hit the wall of infertility, as you know, they, they have insurance to give birth to a baby, but they don't have insurance for adoption. <laughs> So it's kind of insult to injury. Oh, you can't have a child and you got to pay out the you know, nose to have one. That's why we have an adoption support fund here. Thousands of dollars that, that people have given just for folks who can't have kids or want to adopt because it's expensive. And so if they're a member of CVC, they can apply and we can help contribute to their family. It's like, it just, we hit that wall. And so we had to get back into debt for a little bit. And then we got back out. And then like, you know, this last adoption, man, you know, big adoption, big surgeries. We had to go back into debt for a little bit. So last year, man, we worked hard, we worked hard and rolled up our sleeves and sacrificed. And we started this year completely out of debt other than our mortgage payment again. And it just feels good. It feels good to be in that place. And it's hard work, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it to have the means and the heart to do something when things pop up around you. To trust God to do something with that. Do you have the means? Do you have the heart? You know, what we're asking of you 
we're, we're, we're asking as, as us as a community as well. Like some of you, you're going to walk out of here going, okay, I need to go back and look at my budget. Like you look at, some of you have the list, you know, the budget, the list. Do you have a, do you have a line item for generosity? Is there one that says like blessing others? Do you kind of, you know, is there a box or a bottle somewhere in your house just to change whatever, just to, just to bless other people? Is it, is it even on the radar? You know, some of you need to just go figure that out. Some of you need to leave here today going, okay, it's time to get serious about getting rid of debt so I can be freed up. Like all these things we're asking of you as individuals and encouraging you to do as individuals, we need to do collectively as a church family. Like we have, we have debt as a church. You've heard me talk about this before. And it's, it's kind of a good news, bad news thing because man, we've been paying it down, but we still have a little bit left. Just again, imagine what we could do as a church with no debt. No, no mortgage, no payment. How much more impact can we make for the kingdom of God in Northeast Ohio? How many churches can be planted? How, many, how much more generosity can we give to, to ministries and people that need it? When you start to hear about stories where people are stuck, and we can go, we can, we can do something about that. Like, it'd be so nice as a church to even have additional freedom. We're a generous church. We're a blessed church, but we can use even additional freedom to do more for the kingdom of God. Let me just give you a flyby of where we're at right now as a church, just, just as kind of a collective moment. Um, we had an original building loan. Also, we added a momentum expansion project in 2007, which left us with $3.8 million in debt. Well, from July of 2008 to December 2012, we paid off $854,610 of that, which is brilliant. That was beautiful. And then in the last 16 months, this is huge. We paid off over $580,000 in debt. We had two families give large donations to help kill that. So that momentum expansion loan is gone. That thing's done. So all we have left is with the remnant of our building loan. And right now, to date, as a community, we have a $2,040,346.95 debt. If we continue to make just the payments we're making now, just, just where we're at, we're going to be under the $2 million mark in August. You know, uh, some of our staff who like to work the numbers, they're going, okay, if each family that's currently giving just gave $10 a month extra, I'm thinking, $10 a month, that's nothing. That's, that's not even $10 a week, that's 10, 10 a month. If we, did, if we did to do that, we'd be paying an extra $61,000 on the debt in just the next six months. If we were to do that for four years, we'd be over $840,000. But I'm sitting here going... When I have these conversations with our staff, like, well, if, if we just keep going the way we're going, we can pay off our debt in four years. I'm like, we got four years and we can be doing other things. We could pay that off sooner. There's got to be a way to pay that off sooner. Maybe we can do it in two years. And so I just share that so that you're aware, but some of you may have the heart and the means to help us get there so that we can start doing more aggressive things to the kingdom of God. And so this is something that we're doing as a community. This is something you're doing as an individual. Uh, with my staff last week, I took some of our leadership team last year, I mean, and uh, we went out and had a little retreat, and we were talking about the debt, and I had them all go get a rock. Sometimes rocks, you know, symbolize like carrying a load, right? It's not like if you just had to carry a rock around all the day, it'd, it'd get old fast. Now, some of you are carrying around rocks of debt in your life that you don't need. You know, we're carrying around a rock of debt that we don't need as a church. And I said, write a statement on there that kind of expresses your desire to get out of debt. And so all of our leadership team wrote like these cool statements and stuff, and, and uh, I wrote, open season on debt, you know? <laughs> It's like, let's just open season. Let's just declare an open season on debt. And let's just get rid of it. And so this rock sits in my office next to my desk and it helps me be, to be praying that we get out of debt as a church. Some, maybe some of you, with what's going on in your life, you need to go get a big old rock or perhaps a boulder um, or something, a pebble, I don't know. And you need to write some phrase about getting out of personal debt. You need to like leave that on your desk next to all your bills, you know, as a reminder, like that's in the way. Let's get rid of that so that you can be freed up to do more as you're trying to love others. So there's this connection between debt and loving others that sometimes we don't even see. 
And so because we're indebted to the Lord, we want to have the heart to love others. And because God's given us means, we don't want to spend it on irresponsible debt. We want to get ourselves mobile and free to be a blessing to others. And so whatever that looks like for you in your life, I encourage you guys to just go after that. Well, here we are. We just spent the last four weeks doing this kickoff for Lifehouses. And really the essence of what we're talking about here is that Lifehouses have the heart and the means to bless others with their resources as they actively love their neighbors. Man, you're trying to be a servant. You're trying to be an investor. You're trying to be a missionary. And this is part of it. A couple uh, practical tools that I want to remind you of as you continue to try to live as a Lifehouse. We'll continue to have Lifehouse stories. We'll continue to talk about this and encourage you guys to live this way as a way of life. A couple things. Each week when we do a message, we put a study guide that goes with it online. And so when you go online and you click on the watch and listen, you'll see there's a little link that says study guide. It takes you to a page. This week's study guide, it talks more about this concept. So this is good for personal devotional, family devotional, life groups. And also there's links. So if, you're, if you have the heart but not the means, there's some great links about just how to you know, structure your finances and some good tools that will help you to do that. Uh, we have a life group that's kicking off this summer with a man named Ron. And for those of you who are like, ah, I just need some hands-on you know, instruction about how to get my life in order this way, man, sign up for that life group at the next uh, Connect and take this summer learning about how to just take care of these things in your life. And so there, there's one tool, a study guide. Another is this book, The Art of Neighboring. I uh, encourage you to, to grab this book, read this book. It's quick, it's easy, it's got great ideas, it's got great stories about how you can be a lifehouse about how you can make a difference with your neighbors. So I highly recommend that. You can download that and get that. Uh, Don't forget to share your stories with us. We'd love to hear what God's doing in you and through you as you're loving on your neighbors. And so go to our website, follow the links at Lifehouses. You can find out um, where you can leave a story to share with us. Also, um, there's uh, there's a download of the booklet that was mentioned earlier about our personal instruction of how to do that. Don't forget that next weekend, we're, we're calling all of you uh, that are available to just uh, be united in serving your neighbors. Next weekend, there's going to be a bunch of us just loving, serving our neighbors in tangible ways. And so if you can't do next weekend, just do it sometime in May. Just find a way to really focus, and uh, we're going we're gonna to cook up some fun food and take it to our neighbors and love on them, take prayer requests, just, just something intentional to engage our neighbors. I encourage you guys to do that. Before we uh, close out, I want to let you know about where we're going to go starting next week. Next week, we're going to launch a 20-week study in the book of Genesis. And so it's a a phenomenal book because it talks about our roots. It gives us great examples of what to do and what not to do in relationships. (laughs) And uh, it shares a lot about God's love and redemption through the whole book. And so we're going to crack open the book of Genesis for 20 weeks and just learn about our roots, our relationships, and redemption through the study in Genesis. And so I encourage you to come back. It's a great time to bring some of the, uh, the friends and family that you've been praying for as we talk about those things. Hey, let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, God, thank you for everybody here in this room. Thank you for everybody watching online. God, I pray that as we opened your word today, that you were glorified. God, I pray that you help us to take to heart this whole concept of being a lifehouse. Lord, you've called us to love our neighbors near and far. Sometimes, God, we're better at doing it when they're far. God, help us to learn how to do it when they're near. Help us to adopt those neighbors that live the closest to us and just learn how to love them and serve them and pray for them and encourage them, Lord God. God, help us here to have the heart and the means 
to just be a blessing, Lord, to others. God, I pray for anyone here today that maybe uh, their understanding of what they're getting out of this time is that they need to have that heart connect with you. Lord, they, they realize you've paid their debt. <laughs> and there's an indebtedness there and that all you're asking is just to love you and to live for you and to love others. God, I pray for anyone here that doesn't have that relationship with you, that God, today, they, they, would, they would mark the response card. They would go to the prayer cove right after service. They would talk to someone just say, I, I need this relationship with Jesus. God, give them that courage. God, for those, those of us who are in relationship with you, God, continue to convict us and stir us to love others like we love ourselves. You've told us to do that. God, help us to remove our debt individually, to be freed up. God, help us to remove our debt as a community, to be freed up. We lay these things at your feet. We lay these things at your throne because we love you. In Jesus' name, we all sit together.